Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 5, An Excess of Phlegm Harry and Dumbledore approached the back door of the burrow, which was surrounded by the familiar litter of old Wellington boots and rusty cauldrons. Harry could hear the soft clucking of sleepy chickens coming. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, do you know that my parents lived in America for three years before I was born? Yes, I do, in Chicago. Yes, do you know what else is in Chicago? One of our groups. <laughs> That's right. It's a local Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group run by our very own Maggie Needham and Paige Youngerman, and they are absolutely fantastic. And if you want to join their reading group, go to harrypottersacredtext.com slash groups, and you can find out when and where they meet, as well as all the other local groups around the world. This week, we are lucky enough to be joined once again by one of our very few repeat guests, the host of the Anthropocene Review and a couple of other things here and there, <laughs> the great John Green. John, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, it's great to be here. It's always a pleasure. I love your podcast so much. So you are on this week to tell us a story through the theme of yearning for the chapter An Excess of Phlegm. Do you have an opening story for us? I do have a story about yearning. When I was in college, I yearned to be loved, mostly to be loved romantically, but also just to be loved in any form. I wanted it so badly. And I also yearned to have like a big life, like some kind of grand adventure. I always felt like my life was small and I wanted it to be big. And before I was born, my dad worked as a commercial fisherman in Alaska. My dad is a much tougher uh, person than, than I am. 
And so when I was in college, I got this idea that I, I too, could spend a summer in Alaska. And I did. I drove to Alaska with a girl I was dating and two other friends, but uh, I did not work on a commercial fishing boat. I scooped ice cream in a town called Moose Pass, Alaska. (laughs) And I was profoundly and intensely and extremely needily in love. And eventually the relationship blew up and we broke up and it was a disaster because we were uh, stuck together in this town of like 47 people. Oh, God. You know, a former couple. Uh-huh. And a couple weeks after we broke up, we went on this trip to Denali National Park together. Like we'd planned the trip and even though we'd broken up, we were like, ah, let's take the trip. And I was still desperately yearning for some kind of reunification. And we walked up to the tundra and we spent a night looking at Denali in a tent. It was beautiful. It was lovely. The next morning, I made coffee over a fire. And I said to this woman who I loved, why do you think we broke up? And she paused for a while and said, well, have you ever fallen out of love with anyone? And I said, I guess so, even though I actually hadn't. (laughs) I said, I guess so. And she said, I think I just kind of fell out of like with you. (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) And for many years, I have to say, when I told that story, I cast myself as the hero and her as the villain. But now I look back on it and I think, oh, my God, she must have been so exhausted with my level of, like, constant, endless, yearning need (laughs) that she must have just broken and thought to herself, maybe if I say this, it will end. Um, I mean, I give her points for the wordplay. It's gr- I mean, it's great. It's very clever and quick-witted. So I will return with an equally humiliating story, which is that I broke up with someone. He broke up with me in a rural town in Italy. And I was like, well, I am leaving. I was 18 years old. And so the following morning, I got up to take a train to Rome and leave. This It was a tiny town called Salmona, Italy. There was one hostel in town. And I stood on the wrong side of the tracks. And so the train came and left, and I couldn't get on it. And there was only one train a day. So I had to walk back to town, head hung low, being like, I'm back. (laughs) And I had left like, I never want to see you again. This town isn't big enough for the both of us. I'm going to Rome. And then was back an hour later. I stormed off successfully the next day, guys. Don't worry. I bet it was I bet it was just as good the second time around. Shut up, John. It was. It totally was. Well, but that is the thing about yearning, right? The idea is like there's something embarrassing about wanting. There's something yeah. vulnerable about other people knowing that you feel like you need something. So I would recast yourself as the hero who is being vulnerable enough to let someone know your needs or your wants. But I do think that there's just something really that can be humiliating about yearning um, or at least very vulnerable. I don't think it should be humiliating. 
Well, and I, I really like what you said about the, the beginning of your story, John, where you were saying like this experience of feeling small and yearning for this bigness. Because one, one of my favorite definitions for like feeling connected to the divine is when you feel both fully small and fully big at the same time. Right. You know, I'm just as insignificant as a grain of sand, but I'm also like the fullness of all living things like are in me and I am in them. And most of the time, like 99.9% of the time, we're not feeling both at the same time. And when we're not in them, we we yearn for them, right? So like we either we yearn to escape and be left alone, frankly, or we yearn for like the full rich experience of what it means to be alive. So I think kind of most of the time we're yearning. So we shouldn't we shouldn't blame ourselves. Oh, absolutely not. And actually, I think in this chapter, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, Ginny has a lot of like coming out as cool chapters, <laughs> but this is one of them. And yeah. one of the reasons that she's cool again is because she's not wearing her yearning for Harry on mm. her sleeve, right? Mm. And it's like not obvious anymore. And so now she's the cool chick. And I am curious now because I hadn't thought of it until your story, John. But I wonder if one of the reasons that the Weasleys hate Fleur is that she shows no yearning. She is cool. And like, where is that? So, so I think it's, we want people to want just enough, but there's like a very small window of how much you're allowed to want. Yeah, that's really true. I'd never thought of that before, but I often feel embarrassed about dissatisfaction, about not feeling yeah like my life is, is complete. You know, there's that totally. old uh, cliche about you're never unhappy if you want what you have. What is the line? Oh, it's Cheryl Crow singing uh, in Soak Up the Sun. It's not about getting what you want. It's wanting what you've got. Yeah, which is a lovely sentiment, but I just don't think it really applies to humans. Like, I think it, I think it would be great if that were true, but I think most of us aren't Fleur, and most yeah. of us do want things. But it, it is weird how wrapped up in coolness not yearning is. Like in some ways, the definition of coolness, at least when you're in middle school, is not yearning. Well, I wonder, you know, I'm trying to think of like the lessons that I would want to take from yearning. And I I think that it's part of me wants to want less, right? And to revel in what I have more and to, you know, like have more awe and appreciation than yearning. But the other part of me wants to also just destigmatize yearning Mm. that like to want is human, right? Mm. We are like, born wanting and like part of me loves 10 year old Ginny that like just couldn't hide how much she likes Harry right I mean I think that all three of us work very much in nerd culture and like that's what we love about nerds right is like unabashed love and want for more and more and so I simultaneously want to celebrate yearning and also want to say but it's okay to take moments to just be like satisfied with what you have yeah, I think when I when I feel yearning at least or like the healthy yearning I feel is not like I yearn for a better car. Right. right. It's although like if I had a really crappy car I would yearn for a better car because it's nice to have reliable transportation. But the deep yearning I feel is is for more connectedness, for more mm. understanding, for a deeper relationship with the world around me, for a better understanding of of my place in the world. And I expect that yearning to last. And I have been told by the culture to be embarrassed about it, that like sincerity and earnestness in the pursuit of meaning are cringy and cheesy and lame. And I I really don't want to give in to that. 
and it's hard and I don't I don't feel like I always succeed, but I'm really trying not to let that take over in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. John, thank you so much for being back on the podcast. We love you. We really we do. I love y'all too. <laughs> I, I now feel like I'm supposed to be cool and not act like I oh, love yeah, that's them. Right, that's right. Yeah, right. it's good. It's great. You stuff. John, you're fine. <laughs> Whatever. No, we have to fight that urge. We have to love each other without any irony or distance. Yes. Oh, okay, we love you. <laughs> yes. Me too. Ah, oh, Vanessa, do you know what could have really saved you with those trains? An extra 30 seconds. Indeed. But you only get one set of 30 seconds in today's recap. And I do believe it's your turn to go first. I have no reason to think that, but I've decided. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) Okay. On your mark, get set, go. So Harry comes back and he's like, oh my God, great to be here. And he has a little chat with Molly, who's of course extremely worried about Arthur because Arthur has been promoted, yay, but is very like stressed. Well, lots of dangerous things. Um, and so then um, he gets, he wakes up and like Ron is there, hooray. And Hermione's there, hooray. And Ginny is like super not happy that Fleur is there. Molly's also not happy Fleur's there. And Fleur's just like looking fabulous and she got her man and everything is great. Um, and then Tonks is also depressed and, you know, it's just like happy families, but families are always complicated. Okay, 30 seconds on the clock, Vanessa. What else happened? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So a couple of other things that happen is that um, Harry tells Ron and Hermione about the prophecy. Hermione gets hit in the face um, by one of Fred and George's um, gadgets they left behind because they're now living in Diagon Alley and apparently doing really well. And also, most importantly at all, according to Hermione, is that the OWL results come in and Harry has done really well. Ron's done just a little bit not as well. Harry's been made Quidditch captain and Hermione did really well, but is like, oh, I didn't get all of them and sad. so casper this chapter we are reading it as john so beautifully set up through the theme of yearning i thought that we should start with the title of the chapter the excess of phlegm because to me this is this is a shame on the weasleys moment Well, say more. I mean, I definitely don't love the nickname. And when I first saw the title, I was like, wait, what what happens in this chapter? I'd forgotten that they call Fleur Flem. And I have a sister called Fleur, so I really love the name Fleur. Yeah. So Fleur, the thing she is yearning for is to be closer to her soon-to-be husband's family, right? Bill has sort of deposited her here for a few days to get to know his family And the things that we see her doing are objectively not annoying. Super reasonable. She's like, let me help. I'll bring the tray up to Harry's room for breakfast. Like, how can I be useful? You know, that's like totally my strategy when I'm with in-laws. I'm like, let me do the washing up. How about I carry this outside? You know. Yeah, no, I love a task in those situations because it means you don't have to talk to people. (laughs) Exactly. But she is like really just trying and everybody is being really hateful to her the whole thing makes me feel icky because i feel like are the women mad at fleur for being pretty it's unclear like i mean we we certainly see ron being like oh fleur is wonderful and even harry kind of defends her later on and hermione is also kind of pulled into this anti-fleur trope so it see it seems to be based on gender lines and we know of course that fleur is part vila so is there something there about 
jealousy? Or, or is it just about protectiveness about Bill? Like, I can totally understand when someone, like a sibling, someone like, that you love, brings home someone that you're not excited about. And I've been that person, you know. I remember with a previous boyfriend who I have only warm feelings towards. He's a wonderful man. But the moment I introduced him to my parents, I saw him through their eyes. And I was like, oh, this is not the person I'm supposed to be with. And Bill is not here. So we can't see how Bill is interacting. Bill can't be the bridge between Fleur and the rest of the family. It is kind of like putting an orange in with a bunch of apples, you know, like that can happen. So Molly articulates your point, right? Molly is like, I just wish that they weren't getting married so quickly. They've only known each other a year and people do reckless things. They are also waiting a second year to get married. So it's not like they're rushing into it. Very reasonable. And so, yeah, I just really do see Fleur as like being a beacon of yearning in this house. And if we think of yearning as wanting something that you have no control over whether or not you're going to get it, I feel like the way that she wants the Weasley family approval and she's not getting it is sort of the embodiment of that kind of yearning. Well, and I think we're actually also seeing yearning from the Weasleys that impacts Fleur because another way to think about yearning is that it's about longing for something that you've lost or that you've been separated from. And I think we have to talk about Percy in this moment because Mm -hmm. the family has lost Percy and perhaps, especially in Mrs. Weasley's eyes, we're now losing Bill, right? Like that this is going to be another departure of a kid who's not going to come home, who's not going to be centered around the family because he's starting his own new family. So I think there might be a lot of what's going on here that actually isn't about Fleur personally, but is about the imagined loss loss of bill to some extent. Casper, just staying on Percy for a moment. I mean, I can't imagine how much yearning Molly has to make things right for Percy. And I think that Molly's yearning for her family is obviously just like embodied in this clock that she is. Oh my God. She's carrying it with her from room to room. Like it is constantly with her. Even though it's like not changing status, it's just everybody is in mortal peril. So, yeah, I'm wondering what you make of the fact that they aren't able to reconcile, that they're not able to go to Percy and be like, can we please move on? Like, you know, there were miscommunications or what Percy could possibly be thinking. He's not yet ready to go back to his family. Well, that's the big question, right? Like, we don't know what's happened. Has there, has there been an attempt at reconciliation? Like, has someone reached out and said, Percy, we forgive you. Please come home. You know, we love you. We miss you. Should yearning always be accompanied by an action? Like, if, if you're yearning for that reconnection, if you want to feel like everyone is back together again, doesn't that, doesn't that put the onus a little bit on the Weasleys? And of course, they're all Weasleys, but on, on the family in the house. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I think that often yearning isn't accompanied by action, right? That you're longing for something that you can't control the outcome. And so I feel like often we're yearning to reconnect with somebody who's passed away, right? I don't think that yearning is necessarily tied to action. Do you? I think it's it's probably tied to like futile action. <laughs> or at least maybe the action changes 
yearning, like it turns it into something else. For example, I've recently done this really helpful process where I kind of sat down with a friend and wrote down like basically a list of names of people that I didn't feel in right relationship with. Like some of them were, you know, significant challenges. Others were like just that little feeling of like, "Mm, there's something not quite right between us. And basically we we kind of strategized, we each brought a list and we strategized and helped each other think through what might be an action that we could take to, to get back into right relationship. Now, for some people that was like, give them a phone call and say, I'm sorry about this thing or write a card and say like, I really like you and I hope we can hang out more. Or, and for some people it wasn't right to actually reconnect, but it was like, you know, to meditate for them or pray for them or just like hold them lovingly in our hearts or with compassion. And I will say that for everyone that I wrote to or reached out to who who responded, I feel my yearning has been like enriched and like made like golden and sparkly because in every single case for the people who have responded, they wrote back saying like, I felt that too. You know, like I I was yearning for a different relationship with you too. And I feel so much better about this moment. And so that's what I feel is possible in that yearning when you add that action, like it, you no longer need to yearn because now suddenly like you're actually connected again. You know, I guess I really wish that for the Weasley family at this point. My imagination is that they're both sitting there yearning for one another, but that it hasn't been accompanied by action. Right. And I think so many of these moments are lost in miscommunication. I can imagine any number of things from Mr. Weasley running into Percy in the elevator and being like, hi, oh, you're not talking to me, even though I thought, you know, like I can imagine all sorts of little slights that are so easy to misunderstand from one another. Yeah. I think there's something about yearning which is also safe. It means we actually don't necessarily have to encounter the world. Like like when you're pining for a crush, right? Well, I mean, you remember the story of like hand delivering the Valentine's card where I declared my love, right? Like that burst the the yearning bubble because I knew that it was not reciprocated. And so sometimes it's, it's I don't know, it's kind of safer or nicer <laughs> to stay in yearning rather than risk. Because it's yearning is also about a dream. It's about living in a reality that is actually different from the one that you're in. And so there there can be something really lovely and comforting about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, if you are willing to take an action outside of yearning, you are risking rejection. Yeah, you're risking the yearning completely, like that whole imagined life. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Okay, so Vanessa, where else do we see Yanning show up in this chapter? Oh, Hermione with her OWLs. <laughs> this was amazing. So Hermione has just found out that her best friend has a curse put on him where he's going to have to fight to the death. And then she also finds out that test results are coming. And she's just like, priorities, priorities, test results, please. What would it take for her to be happy is my question. So, So she is doing all of this like... I think I ruined ancient runes. I'm definitely going to fail X, Y, and Z. She's already talked to McGonagall about what is going to happen in case she fails. So you would think that there would just be this feeling of relief with the fact that she passes all of her OWLs and she gets one exceeds expectations and the rest she gets the top mark. What is she actually yearning for? Would she have even been satisfied with perfect marks? Well, this is so interesting because I feel like we're encountering a Serena Williams of like magic in a way where at some point you're not competing against other people, you're competing against yourself. So that even if she got all outstandings, she might still not be happy because she knew she got a question wrong or she knew that she didn't answer that properly and that she had known it when she walked into the room, right? I mean, that's what I admire about Hermione is her standards are so high. It's also massively constricting. And I think here actually a little unfortunate in that of the three people who respond to their exam results, Ron, who objectively got the worst results, is the happiest. He's like, sweet. Like, we nailed it. Like, I love his attitude. His his attitude isn't just, oh, I nailed it. He finds out that Harry did better than he did. And is still happy. He's so happy for Harry. He's like, I knew you would do that well. And like, hits him lovingly. This is a moment where I... I just, like, love Ron. I'm like, this is Ron in, like, full buddy bro friendship mode. He's like, you're going to get to use our bathroom! Woo! <laughs> I know that that's, like, the big win of becoming Quidditch captain. Yeah. And also, he's very sensitive about saying, like, oh, now that you're captain, you know, if you'll still have me on the team. Like, he is really giving Harry an out. Yeah. If if Harry's like, uh, Ron, we need to have a conversation. I'm sorry. Or even just be like, we'll see how tryouts go. Right, right. Like, he is being so smart about this whole scene. I know. But yeah, so you think that Hermione's yearning for perfection is just a bottomless pit of want and that there would be no satisfying it? 
I think she's going to need to go on a couple of retreats and take up meditation to like come home to herself that she is already perfect and doesn't need to achieve anything else. And at the same time, like I think Hermione has a vision for the magical and muggle world, which is so much beyond what we ever get to see in these books. Like she just is such an incredible leader and such an incre- incredible witch in, in just in terms of her skillfulness. And I think she feels like, yeah, I need to be the best at everything so that I can do, I can fulfill that vision in a way. The other option that she might be considering is actually linking it back to that piece of news that she just received about Harry being the chosen one. Oh, that's interesting. Right? That she's like, listen, Harry is not going to be able to do this all by himself. Like he is going to need me. And like, I, what I can bring is to know every single fact in the history of magic textbooks, year one to seven. You know, like I struggle with defense against the dark arts. That's the core thing that we need as we fight Voldemort. Like I need to skill up in everything else to be a valuable asset in this fight. I, I can believe that too. Why do you think that she does not get an outstanding in defense against the dark arts? She has been part of Dumbledore's army. Mm. She's gotten the same training, you know, from Harry as everybody else. And she's like the top witch of her age. Do you think, I mean, is this back to book three? Like Lupin doesn't let her practice against the Boggart. So she blew that exam. And so she gets like anxious. And Mm -hmm. it's just this cycle because we know she's, excellent at defense against the dark arts she goes and helps hunt horcruxes and like we know she's good at this she's the one putting up all the spells to protect them while they're out camping like she's incredible at it I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying about just that anxiousness. And once you get in a, in a story, as so many of us do, I mean, I think especially around math, for example, like I know I lived in that story for a long time and like I failed my first econometrics class in grad school. And then I really had to sit down with myself and be like, I can do this. Like, this is not beyond me. I can do it. And I, you know, I sat down every week with a professor and I ended up getting a solid B. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I could pass this. Like, it's not in my natural gifts, but it's also not like I'm allergic to math or something, you know. But I can also imagine another story, which is that, like, Hogwarts teaching has not been very good. (laughs) Uh, Specifically on Defense Against the Dark Arts. Exactly. And we don't know what was on the exam compared to the skills that she actually has. So like sometimes there's just a mismatch between what you know and what you can do and what you're tested on, Um, which is just another reason why these kind of tests are not the best way for us to understand what people can do. Well, Well, something that just occurred to me is that part of the reason why Harry gets an outstanding is because he's given the opportunity to do a Patronus. And the reason he's given that opportunity is because of this horrible thing that happened to him of the Dementors attacking. And so the examiner is like, I heard from the ministry that you can do a corporeal Patronus. And he's like, yes, I can. And it like does this great victory lap around the exam room. (laughs) But we know that Hermione can also do a corporeal Patronus and has done it in Dumbledore's army. And she in that room in that moment did not say, hey, I can do one too. Right? Like, she protected the secrecy of Dumbledore's army. She's not supposed to be at the level where she can do that yet. And so she doesn't show off that she can do it, even though she could do the same thing. Okay, this is a glow up. Because remember Hermione from, like, book one, where it's like, me, 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 me. Here she's like, 
I can do it, but I don't need everyone to know about it. I'm going to do it when it really matters. Let Harry have his moment. He's had a hell of a year. I love that. So I wonder if that's part of why it like a little bit stings looking at this E. She's like, I could have made the choice. Yeah. But I was being a good person. And like you can know that you made the right choice and still be yearning for a world in which you got to show off that you could do this cool thing. Right. Like you're just like, I wish we lived in a world in which I was going to be able to show everyone my really cute otter. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) And no one got to see it. It could have ridden on the back of Harry's stag. Vanessa, there's one final place in the text that I, I think is worth mentioning, which is as they're getting their exam results, Harry, you know, is very happy. He's like, this is the best I could have hoped for. It's He's very reasonable about it. And just at the end, he has this little twinge like, oh, I didn't do well enough in potions for me to become an aura. And and what's destabilizing for him is that this is the only vision of himself post-Hogwarts that he's really had. Like, this, this is what he imagines himself doing once he's graduated. But what's so ironic, of course, is that, like, he's already doing what auras do. Like, he has fought Voldemort a number of times. His whole, like, organizing of his life is around, you know, defeating Voldemort. And certainly by the end of this book, once it becomes clear that, you know, he needs to continue getting all of these Horcruxes. So... It just made me think about the way in which sometimes we yearn for things that we already have or that we already are, but no one has really turned around to say to him, like, hey, I see you as an aura and like, yes, we'll skill you up. But, you know, there's a different pathway into this profession beyond whatever exams that you need. So it, it, may, it made me think about, like, what do I yearn for that I already have? Like, I can, I can be a very ambitious person. And yeah, it was, just a, it was just a reminder, A, that we should reflect on that and B, that often you can't do it alone. You kind of need some want to say like, hey, I already see this in you. Yeah, I mean, the he sort of does a job description of an aura <laughs> is the last sentence. And what he says is that an aura is a highly trained wizard whose job it was to find and kill Voldemort. And I'm like, <laughs> it's true that you're not like getting paid for that yet, mm. Harry, but you're like the Olympian amateur gold medalist in this event. Like, that's your best event. A really big sponsorship contract awaits with a major clothing brand. Yeah, absolutely. Madame Malkins is waiting in the wings. I was like, what do you, what do you think you're doing if you're not getting trained by the greatest living wizard, Dumbledore, to be a highly trained wizard whose job it was to find and kill Voldemort? We found out that he's actually the only Auror because he's the only one who can actually kill Voldemort. Right. He's like Aura Plus. Yeah. Gold standard Aura. He's actually the only one in the world. Done. So, yeah, I just completely agree. I feel like I do this all the time. I look at, I have such a beautiful family, right? Like Mm. nuclear family, extended family, friend family, chosen family. Every version of my family is beautiful. And then I'll look, you know, on Instagram and see another version of another kind Uh, of family. Yes. And be like, well, I don't have that. Yeah. Like, I don't have a house in the suburbs with a big yard, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I can just, like, yearn myself away from my own happiness. 
Yeah, that's the danger with yearning. I th- and I think that's where we need to look out for is like, is it stealing our joy from the moment that we're in and the things that we already have? Because here's the secret that we all know is like, once you get the thing that you've been yearning for, suddenly it ain't so pretty, right? Like either you have to deal with the reality of like, oh, now I'm with this person I've been like crushing on for three years. Turns out he's really smelly feet or like he's super selfish or, you know, whatever it is. Or like you get that house and like suddenly the mortgage is super expensive or like- You have to sweep. <laughs> A huge house. Whenever I'm like, I wish I had a big house, I'm like, I would just have more floors to sweep. (laughs) So, Casper, one one last thing before we wrap up this conversation about yearning is this moment where Harry tells Ron and Hermione specifically what the prophecy is. And, you know, it says in the text that he just feels so much better as soon as he tells Ron and Hermione What's so interesting to me is that sometimes we don't even know what it was that we were yearning for until we get it. And like the way that I know that is like I will get hear my mom's voice and burst into tears. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I needed a good cry. Um, Like we'll have held it together like the bad thing could have happened to me eight days ago. And then as soon as I hear my mom's voice, I'm like, last Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I did not know that was bothering me. And so I feel like there's something so familial about Ron mm. and Hermione. And they, at this point, are just an extension of himself. Yes. And he can't deal with it until he says it. And so it's like he didn't know how much he was yearning for this moment until it happens. Big time. And I think he knows that there are some things that he needs to keep to himself. You know, he's been very diligent. Like, this is not about him suffering in silence. I really think this is about him being responsible, that he's stopping himself from telling them. But as you say, like, the moment he he does it, he's surprised. Like, his physical reaction, he feels this warmth come through his body. And I think that's that's the moment when you know you've been holding on to something, and then, like, suddenly it, it releases itself. Whenever I have a massage, like, I'll, I'll suddenly realize, like, oh, wait here's this thing that's really been bothering me or like oh that's the decision I need to make or I I just find like literally when when someone's like rubbing my back good things happen (laughs) yeah I feel like you know you Ariana and I whenever we get into the studio we check in and you will always ask like how is everything and I think what's going to come out of my mouth is fine and instead what comes out of my mouth is like 15 minutes of whining and then it's I just feel so whining. much 15 minutes of processing feelings. Yes. And I just feel so much better after every time. But I'm telling you, every single time, I'm like, just say fine. And I'm like, <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm your friend. I know. It's just like I didn't know that I was right. yearning to like talk right. to my friend until I see you and Ariana. And I'm like, safe space. <laughs> well, and I think that is really helpful, Vanessa, because it reminds us that like literally being together, even if we don't know why we're going to be together, helps us remember who we are and what matters to us. And I think, you know, this is the first time Harry is seeing Ron and Hermione again, even though the summer away was shorter. Like, it's just good to be together. And I love that. So, Casper, it is time for us to transition spiritual practices. So we are going to be doing the classic, the original, 
Lectio Divina. Oh, nothing better. And I have just put my finger on the page. It's towards the end of the chapter. And it's this sentence. This has always worked before. I just can't understand it. Ooh. It's an uh, it's a kind of a hidden line. It doesn't immediately evoke where we are. So perhaps I can start us off with the first level of Lexio, which is to think narratively, like what's happening at this point in the story. And you'll remember that Hermione kind of had touched one of the products that the twins had created and it kind of punched her in the face and she's got this panda eye. She's got this black eye. And Mrs. Weasley is trying to put on some um, kind of ball from the healer's helpmate. And she's saying to Hermione, this has always worked before. I just can't understand it because it's it's not fading. Like it's not helping in any way. Oh, got it. I understand exactly where we are. Super interesting. And I love that Molly is criticizing Fred and George, right? She's like, oh, they didn't get these OWL scores and I was worried about what they were going to do, but they can do magic (laughs) that she can't. That is true. I mean, that's something we're going to see certainly over the next couple of chapters, like Molly's reevaluation of the Weasley twins. I mean, she already attests to their financial success in this chapter. Um, And of course, once she's in Diagon Alley, she's actually going to see the shop. So this, this might be just another data point in her realizing like, oh, wow, these two really are skilled. And I misjudged you know, at Hermione's expense, because she's still got a black eye, but uh, hopefully a valuable lesson for Molly. (laughs) I I mean, in the next chapter, we're going to see how easily the twins are able to fix the black eye. So yeah, the twins are better at certain kinds of magic than Molly. And no disrespect to Molly. She is a goddess. Okay, let's turn to step two. So now we're going to think allegorically about this passage. We're going to think about what stories or songs or images, other references, other texts that this little snippet reminds us of. So I'll read it again. This has always worked before. I just can't understand it. What does that remind you of, Vanessa? What I'm imagining is like the way that white men are being confronted in the world right now, right? Like, but it's always worked before. I've always been able to just like talk to women like this. And I've always been able to flirt with employees or I've always been allowed to put my hands on women's shoulders at work or, and there's just this like real confusion. It's like, well, it's always worked before. And I think that often the next step is like this moral panic of like, we're not going to be able to flirt anymore. Like whenever things change. And it's like, well, your old ways aren't working and got to figure some things out. Yeah. I'm also thinking of like, I don't know, like scenes from from great epic tales, maybe about castles, right? That have never been breached or like walls that have, that have never fallen to the enemy. Is there something there? Yes, I've thought of one. So like when Darcy proposes to Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice, he just goes in and is like, she's going to say yes, because this has always worked before. Like a rich man proposing to a not wealthy woman, like that always works. And so he just walks (laughs) right in, assuming she's going to say yes, and is like, wait, what? You're saying no to me? And so I think that there's something really invitational about these moments of like, but this has always worked before. Right. And seeing like, but that does not make it a law. That makes it 
something that's always worked before. I also think we're seeing that in politics right now of like things that we thought were laws or norms in the United States where it's like, well, it's always worked before that it's a norm and therefore this is what a president does. And now we're like, oh, it turns out that that's not always the way it has to be. Well, both with Lizzie Bennett and and with the president right now, like when it when a person who is different enters in to the arena, like suddenly you realize that all of those norms actually can be different for, for better and worse. And, you know, I'm even thinking about like, I'm thinking of Game of Thrones, just in the way that like Tyrion had these like brilliant ideas of how to defend a certain aspect of the city or, you know, how to breach a certain defense. Like when when someone new enters into a context, how things can change. And that's true about the twins here. Like the twins are changing how magic happens. And we're going to see that that becomes not just fun and jokey, but actually becomes part of like weapons manufacturing or like defense systems against Voldemort. So that is really compelling to me. I, I like that reading. Yeah. Which leads so well to me in the thing um, that I was thinking about for step three. Do you mind reading the sentence one more time? Yeah. This has always worked before. I just can't understand it. So step three is what this sentence reminds us of in our own lives. And I remember when I was around 11 years old, I had finally perfected in karate an aerial, which is a no-handed cartwheel. Whoa. And I was able to do it for like, you know, time and time again. Like I could just reliably do it. And then my mom came to watch and I was so excited to show her that I could do it. Because for like weeks, if not months, I was doing an aerial. But at the last second, I would freak out and put my hand down. Yeah. And so I was like, Mom, I can do it. And again, I had probably done like 50 before trying to show my mom. And then my mom was there and I couldn't do it. Oh. And I was like, but I could do it before. Now nothing's changed. And my instructor, whose name was Farbors, said, no, something has changed. Now your mom is watching. Mm. You know, and I think Molly's in exactly that moment of like nothing's changed. And it's like, no, something has changed. Your kids are grownups and are really good at magic and are experimenting in ways that you never thought of before. And so I think often when we hit these moments of frustration, we just like don't realize these like invisible powers. Like I would never have thought that my mom being there would make me so nervous I couldn't do something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me just how we're learning about how in scientific experiments, like having a scientist conduct the experiment actually changes what happens in the experiment, not because of any kind of willful or, or, or bad action, but just the process of being watched actually changes the the way things behave. That is super interesting. What does it remind you of in your life? I mean, I'm I'm also thinking about the way in which <laughs> our bodies just age, like that there are things that I used to be able to do physically that I, I just can't do anymore. And perhaps with like great skill and attention and, and you know, fitness, maybe I would. No, nope, nope. no, it turns out no. <laughs> um, certainly, I would need to make it a priority in a way that I can't now. And even then, who knows, right? But like, even if I'm standing still, something is changing because time is passing. So it's, it's just thinking about that kind of like fourth dimension. Maybe this particular cream that be, that's been in Molly's cupboard is just out of date. You know, it, it might not actually be about the magic. It might just be about the length of time that she's had it around um, the house. Because who doesn't have, like, cleaning supplies and, like, medicine that is certainly beyond its date of use somewhere in the house. So that's that's what it's reminding me of. Should we move to step four, Vanessa? Yes. 
So in step four, we ask ourselves what the text might be inviting us to do. So we try and find some sort of action that we might take. It can be small or big, but just something that we are really compelled to do because of our close reading of this text. So I'll read it one more time and ask you, what does this text invite you to do? This has always worked before. I just can't understand it. My my partner, Peter, and I actually just had this conversation last night. I was trying to install something and I could not figure out how to do it. And so I was like, okay, Peter, like I need you to do this for me. And he couldn't do it either. And it turns out that the, the thing was broken, that it wasn't me. And we had just had this really interesting conversation about gender norms and relationships and where I'm like, do I take these moments of frustration and is it actually just a lovely thing to be in a relationship and turn to the other person and say, can you do this? Or is it that like I actually have a lot of these skills and if I can't do it, it means it can't be done. But like, thank goodness, Molly isn't like, well, I can't do it. So I guess it can't be done. And I think what I'm called to is like, still ask for help, right? Like, even though it turns out that the thing was broken and Peter couldn't do it anyway, that validated my choice to trash the thing, which otherwise (laughs) I think I would have felt really guilty about being wasteful. And I felt bad about like wasting his time and him getting frustrated. But I think that that builds relationship and that it's important for us to ask each other for help. And so I wonder why Molly didn't just like send an owl to Fred and George and be like, one of your dumb things hit Hermione. How do we get rid of this bruise? Mm, mm. What about you? I mean, it feels like a small thing, but I'm really stuck on this idea of just our, our bodies changing and wanting to appreciate the things I can still do and maybe to just like test what I can still do. I've really wanted to go to one of these like trampolining centers for I'll a while. I'll go with you anytime. They're so oh, fun. They look so awesome. Can we go next time we're together? Yes. I have wanted to just like, I used to love trampolining. Like my parents got us a trampoline instead of a TV and we're like, make your own adventures. And so like I trampolined so much as a kid, I just don't do it anymore. And I want to see if it's still fun and like if if my body mass can, you know, be okay on a trampoline. <laughs> it, it can. I recently trampolined. Awesome. And I was like, oh my God, I can still do really weird things with my body. Right? Like you can do cool twists and jumps and sit bounces and all sorts of... Yes. Okay. Let's go trampolining. That's yeah. my action. <laughs> well, thanks for that Lectio, Vanessa. Thank always you, Always joyful and always unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hold up. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Colton from Dayton, Ohio, and he sent this voicemail less than 24 hours after the shooting that they experienced there. Hey, Casper and Vanessa. Um, my name is Colton. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, where we just had the, um, the mass shooting in the Oregon District um, last night. I was there. I was up on the balcony of the bar right across the street. The um, shooter was basically right under my feet. Um, so needless to say, it's been a really hard, hard day for me. Um, you never think it's going to happen in your own home. And then it does. Um, and it was such a close call. I mean, we almost got in line to go to that bar and we just decided we didn't want to get in line. So we went to the bar across the street. But um, I just wanted to thank you guys because I've used your podcast um, for a few weeks now to really just calm my head because I already have anxiety and I work by myself basically for 10 hours. Um, my mind is always racing um, and you guys have definitely helped distract me from that. And your podcast for the past 24 hours has helped me calm down, has helped me get to sleep has helped me go about my day doing things, um, just listening to your guys' voices and discussing, we you know, one of my favorite things in the world, which is Harry Potter. Um, you know, I can't think of anything to relate this to with Harry Potter. Maybe you guys can. Um, I just really wanted to send in a voicemail and say thank you. Colton, first of all, just thank you for this beautiful message. Um, I am so sorry for you and for the, your city um, and for all of us that we live in this broken world. I love your instinct to try to do meaning making with something you love with Harry Potter. And I also love that that is not what you feel called to do in this moment. You know, there are stages to grief and to shock and meaning making is something that happens much later on. The other thing that really resonated with me is that you said, you know, you never think it's going to happen to you. I think one of the problems we have in America, if I can diagnose all of us, is that we've been sold this idea of you make your own destiny. And so to some extent, we believe that if something terrible happens to you, you must have done something wrong. You have heart disease because you eat poorly. You have cancer because you 
smoked because we always want to know why it is that some something bad happened to somebody else in order to make ourselves feel safe. And I think that what I feel invited to based on your voicemail is just to remember how deeply equal we all are. And yes, we are all in danger, but we are also all valuable. I want to thank you for reminding me of that, that even though anything bad can happen to any of us, all of us, as the Harry Potter books do tell us, are worthy of love. That's beautiful, Vanessa. Thank you, Colton. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this book. And who are you choosing to bless at this chapter? I know I've already beat this drum, but I am going to bless Fleur. Hmm. I just feel so bad for her. Her fiancé has, like, abandoned her in this house full of people who are not trying to like her and are not trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. And then Ron, the only one who's positively bent toward her, is, like, leering at her. I mean, Harry shows up and, like, that's nice and she, like, has someone who she likes. But, ugh, I've been in situations like that where I'm like, I've been deposited here. I don't want to be here. You don't want me here. And it's just a terrible feeling. So I want to offer a blessing to anybody who feels like they're trapped somewhere where they, like, don't quite belong. And, yeah, and just say, I'm sorry that you're in that situation. And they pass. And they're the worst. Poor Fleur. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? Well, I was on this train already too, but I want to celebrate Ron. And I know we really cheered him on and kind of celebrated Ron earlier in this episode, but I do really think it's so easy for us to overlook him sometimes because he is the maybe least easy to to recognize as special of the, of the trio. But this chapter just really reminded me about not just how sweet he can be, but how generous. Like, this this was just such a generous moment. And, like, I mean, they're, they're literally in his house again, right? Like, two people who are better in all sorts of ways that the outside world recognizes keep coming into his life, and he wants them there. I, I think that's what I love about Ron is that, like, he's a model of hospitality. Like, this is their home now as much as it is his. He's just got this gracious beautiful thing going on. And so I guess for anyone who is welcoming people into their home consistently and with joy, this is a blessing for you and a blessing for Ron. Yeah, he is the anti-Petunia. I mean, Molly also. Yeah. And and I guess that's what's beautiful is it's passing down generations, you know, and I'm sure yeah. it was in Molly's parents too. And, and I'm sure if and when Ron has kids, like he'll pass that on as well. I love that he's so happy to see Harry. He like hits him. Yeah. It's just such a dumb boy way to be like, I'm so happy. <laughs> Boom. I love you, but I can't say that out loud. I yet. can't give you a big kiss, so punch. <laughs> Before John left the studio, we asked him if he had a blessing for a character in this chapter. I want to bless Tonks. Mm. Yeah. Oh, how I love Tonks. I just, I, I find Tonks to be kind of the light in these early chapters. The the wit, the cleverness, the kindness that she shows. Harry, the clumsiness. I just, I, I just love her. She's always been one of my favorite characters, but rereading uh, the book with y'all this time around, I've just been reminded of how much is dependent upon Tonks, even though she isn't always around in the story. 
Absolutely. And I mean, that just that moment between her and Molly is so tender and aware and like not overimposing, yeah. but vulnerable. I love that. A blessing for Tonks indeed. Thanks again, John. Oh, it's great to talk with you all. Really a pleasure. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And join our Facebook group to chat with thousands of other listeners about the episode. We have new perks up on our Patreon, so join the 1,200 people there and get the exclusive Meet Me in Mallorca sticker for $5 and up. You can always write a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail, and we hope very much to see you at one of our live shows. We'll be in New York City on September 9th, Cambridge Mass on October 2nd, Washington, D.C. on November 7th, Chicago, Illinois on November 25th, and St. Louis, Missouri on December 19th. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 6, Draco's Detour, through the theme of stubbornness. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and our associate producer is Chelsea Erson. Our music, as always, is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are a proud part of Night Vale Presents. A big thanks, as always, to John Green, who is the embodiment of generosity, to Julia Argy, to Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and as always, Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. In college, I was capable of thinking about a lot of things, like the boys that I had crushes on oh, yeah. and wanting to go back to sleep. I had, I, had <laughs> I, think a, I was doing my best thinking. Right. I had a lot of yearning, but it was in one very narrow direction. <laughs> I yearned to be loved romantically. That is, yes. that was my central was yearning. I, so I had too. I had a second yearning for napping. You didn't yearn to nap in college? That's all I wanted to do. No, I really okay. just wanted to be loved. Oh, God. <laughs> And boy, romantically, and, and boy, was it obvious. <laughs> <laughs>